What's up, folks? Hey, this podcast is sponsored by my great friends at jbmillworks.com. You need to go to their website, jbmillworks.com. If you're a homeowner, there's things around your house you're wanting to remodel. If you're a builder, especially, whether it's commercial or residential, go check out jbmillworks.com. Listen to this list of stuff. Ready? They have custom millwork doors. They have hundreds and hundreds of doors, hardware, mantle shelves, mantles, windows, stair parts, flexible trim, regular trim. I'm going through the list of all the stuff they have. Reclaimed wood. They do installation. They have what you need if you are wanting to make your home look beautiful. If you're needing to make your home have a different look, if it's time for a change, if you're building, trust me, Jeremy Price, Melissa Price have built a company that is designed around you. You don't even know them. Isn't that cool? You don't have a clue who they are, and yet they built a business that's around you. Especially just just if you're looking around and your shutters, you go, these shutters look terrible. These blinds look horrible. These windows, it is time for an upgrade. They have a product up. They have a, a couple of products, but one of them is called Sun Windows. And I'm telling you right now, you need to do yourself a favor. Go check out their website, JB Millworks. Dot com or just give them a call. Tell Jeremy or Melissa that we sent you over there. 706-965-6940. 706-965-6940. Check out all their products. They're great folks and they will do you right. Hey folks, this podcast is brought to you by my friends at Team Monteith Real Estate. Lori Monteith is with Keller Williams. She is one of the very best in Southeast United States. She and her team, because she has put together a super highly motivated, high functioning team. They sell a lot of homes, but they don't do it. They don't do it like just by collecting a bunch of names. No, they do it by collecting names, collecting leads, getting referrals, meeting people. And then guess what they do? Guess what they do? They do exactly what they say they're going to do. They work hard. They find you the right house. They list your home and sell it. They actually follow through. It's not a game of just numbers for them. It's a game of old-fashioned customer service. Sitting down with you, figuring out exactly what you want to do, and then going to do it. You want to go live your life while somebody's finding you a home, right? Navigating the, the negotiations with you. You want to list your home so you can... Go find another home. You've got things to do in life. They do that for you. They understand that relationship. Lori started in the real estate business years and years ago, back when the, the economy was tanking. She got into the business, which means this. And she's always, I've known her forever. She has a great work ethic. But in order to succeed in the world that she came into in real estate, she had to work hard. And she expects that from all of her teammates, which means if you are looking to buy or sell, list your home, you need a realtor, then you need a hardworking realtor that knows the ins and outs and has a stellar reputation. That's what Lori Monteith, Team Monteith brings to the table. Thanks for sponsoring this podcast. Find ChattanoogaRealEstate.com or just Google Lori Monteith, Keller Williams Realty. This podcast, yes, the one you're listening to, is brought to you by our good friends at People's Home Equity here in Chattanooga, Tennessee, and North Georgia. So if you're in the southeast Tennessee area, the North Georgia area, you have got to check out chatmortgage.com. It's chat with two T's, mortgage.com. They are mortgage professionals. It's all they do. They do it all day long. Bruce Dodd and his team help home buyers get the home buying process started. And the cool thing is 
They super serve realtors. They understand that nothing in real estate happens until they sell a home. And so they have systems and processes in place to super serve realtors and make sure that they are heroes to their clients. And if you're a home buyer and you're just thinking, I want to get the home buying process started. I want to refinance. I need help figuring out this whole mortgage loan world. You got to do yourself a favor and reach out to the folks at People's Home Equity. They're at 6650 East Brainerd Road, 423-591-9801, chatmortgage.com. They will take care of you, get things going. And listen, there's a lot of people out there flying by the seat of their pants. You'll see a lot of big names on the internet where it's, you know, just convenient, convenient. They're, they scoop up a lot of information from people, but they don't have that local touch. They don't have the where you can pick up the phone, you can go by and see them. And the cool thing is, the folks at People's Home Equity have all the technology in the world to make it as convenient as anybody else on planet Earth. People's Home Equity, thanks for sponsoring this podcast. Hey folks, Clint Powell here. This is During the Break. Let's do this. And just like that... Monica Perez, we are recording. How you doing? I'm great. How are you? I'm good. We had a good conversation off the air as I sit here and fumble around with our new technology I have in the studio. But so far, it sounds pretty good. Oh, I love it. I feel it just makes me happy. It's I just good. love good sound. Well, it's it's. I've got my hand on the button because you switched. And I will be honest with you because I love the reason I love podcasts. You can be transparent. When you switch from whatever server you were to your other server, yeah. You got hotter as far as the sound goes. And if well, you're in the radio was, world, I was like, man, she, she, she sounds like she, and you go, well, I've got some energy, Clint. You might want to have your finger yeah. on the, <laughs> the slide button. Because when I switched from Firefox to Chrome, I did that because this is a Chrome based <clears throat> platform right. and they work better on the platform they were designed for. So I trust you. You know, I gave your, like I gave your bio in the, uh, in the intro, but if I'm not mistaken, are you an attorney? I, I went to law school. I'm a member of the bar of the state of New York. I do not practice. I I worked at a law firm for a summer, but I was an investment banker, and I'm so I'm also a JD MBA. Oh, or really? I'm a JD MBA. Yeah. So I've got that those credentials, but really, I traded that in to be a mom. And although I love it, it my mind really needed some stimulation, and here I am after. It's a long story, but I, this is this is what I'm doing for my uh, intellectual pursuit. Well, it's good, and on behalf of all your listeners to the Propaganda Report, thank you. And my pleasure. All, and all your all, and all the, the the fans you have, of course, listening to the station. What and what station are you on in Atlanta? It's again? WSB Damn. in Atlanta, ninety five point five, and uh, I'm on the weekends there. I always I I both puzzled by why I'm there at all and puzzled by why I'm only on on the weekends. Like if they're going to go for it, they should go for it. But uh, I appreciate that they do it. It's actually kind of, I think, courageous of them to have me on because I no holds barred. Well, they sprinkle you in. They can't have. Yeah. Yeah. They they have just enough to say we're gutsy, but we're not going to do so much that we get the phone calls from the people and the, you know, they're traveling in the jets above above us right now. I think that's, I, I, you know, that's what I think, but of course that's what I would think. Yeah, of course, because the nature <laughs> of your podcast. All right. So, yeah. uh, we've done another shorter podcast a while back and today I actually have a couple of other uh, topics I want to address with you. But it, again, I love the fact of telling the story. I'm a podcast guy. I love listening to podcasts 
and I cannot remember how I ran across your podcast. I just know that when I did, I got uh, hooked listening to you and your your uh, podcast partner, Brad Binkley, who I think he's also on the radio show with you as well. Is yes, he not? Yeah. yes, yeah. Oh, tell me real quick before I, I, I go down the road of asking you some of the questions I sent over to you. How did you get in the podcast space? Which came first, podcast or radio? Radio. I was I was actually a little bored with staying home with kids, and I was preparing for another career. So I was doing all this uh, chartered financial analyst work. I was taking these tests, and I was going to try to go back into finance. And it just made my mind go crazy on fire. I just was so receptive to new ideas, and I kind of went down the road of anarcho-capitalism, and I just like really figured it all out, I thought. And I happened to be at a wedding. I did not know the people next to me, but we were basically the only English speakers. So I just started talking to her. I didn't know she was radio. I guess I maybe knew she was a radio producer, but that's not why I was like just telling her all this interesting stuff that I'd been figuring out. And she asked me to do a radio show on WSB. She introduced me to her boss. And I've literally been on the air ever since then, which was eight years ago. And then a few years ago, Binkley, who is a, um, he's an actor and he does, uh, improv and stuff like that. He had contacted me. He was a fan of the show. He said, oh, I'd love to do something with you. And I was thinking like, I get, I have so much material and I'm only on on the weekends that there's a lot more that, you know, I wouldn't even have to do extra work to get it out there. So we decided to do a podcast. We were doing it weekly for a long time, for a couple of years. And then, Recently, we just, I, I get taken off the air in part for uh, UGA football and sports. And I just, there's just too much going on. And we decided to start doing a daily show. So every day by the drive time, we do 30 minutes of like today's news because that's what I want. I don't want to hear the mainstream media spin on all these stories, but I do want the news. And it's hard to get it out every day. So we decided we're going to try and see if we can do it. And we have been doing it. And I think that people, I think there is that kind of craving to hear every day, like up to the minute and talk about other people are talking about what they're hearing on Fox. And you can say, you know, it goes deeper than that. Well, and two, the world we live in is so different than the world that I grew up in as far as the news cycles. Um, now, if you're not doing something daily, I mean, it used to be the folks that were doing something daily, they were the big stars as they should be, the radio or the TV. But the news cycle itself was was longer. I mean, you could have a news story that consumed days and even weeks. Now, if you're trying to do something that is that is going to you air quote current, and you're doing it two or three times a week, by the time your next episode comes out, you are seventy two hours old, and people over to the next the next leak or the next whistleblower, the next headline, they are not even the, the news cycle is hours, not days. I actually, now that you mention that, I have noticed as I've been doing this daily show for maybe five, six weeks, that there's a definite pattern to like, cause I'll say, what is the top story today? That's how I open the show. And it's like for three days, it's the same one. And then for the next three days, it's a different one. And it just goes like that. And that's the big, big, big story. The second story is in and out in one day. And yeah. then I feel like it, that 24 seven cable news cycle really dominates it. And what's funny is with all the time and effort they put into the news, they never seems to me dig into the real story. It's just, it's kind of like the way that you hack together a soap opera. You know what I mean? You yeah. throw it out there 
maybe you can, if you're really out of material, there's an alien popping up. <laughs> but, you know, I just, I feel like they're not even doing the news work. They should have somebody on the B list in the back room actually figuring out the true story, but they don't. They focus on the shallow stuff the whole time. It's all, it seems to be all talking points. And, and, and we talked a little bit about this, uh, when you came on the first time, but it's, it's a lot of echo chamber, a lot of confirmation bias, a lot of things that, that I really focus in on as the consumer that only just, I only really go to the news sources that let me know that I'm right. And, uh, I have intentionally started trying to watch something at least two or three times a week and it's, it, it hurts my soul. The Young mm-hmm. Turks. Um, mm-hmm. have you heard of them before? The, I uh, know. Yeah. That guy sent Uyghur, however you pronounce his yeah, name. He, he Jean started Cruz. out as a conservative, supposedly. I guess. And it, I think, it, oh. you know, I just think that they're entertainers. Like I think Alton Brown, he's a food guy, right? So I always yeah. thought he was like a chemistry teacher or a chef or whatever. He was a guy who, wanted to be a media personality and he just decided that cooking would be a way to do it. Like that's how I think that's sometimes how I think of these personalities as they're really kind of like actors first and the subject matter comes after it. But I think that's the blur we live in right now. I I think a lot of the news is, I mean, it's not, is they are all based off clickbait and, and subscribers. And it's always been that way, but it's almost like in the last 10 to 15 years, our media just outright embraced it and said, yeah, you know, we're going to take the news. We're going to put our opinion in it. We're going to push whatever side we think we can really endure ourselves to. And it's not the news part of it now, I think, takes so much filtering. Um, you can have the same news event and go to CNN and go to Fox. And literally, it is like two opposing teams uh, getting ready for Red Rover. You're like, goodness but, gracious. My feeling is that in the end... That when it's really comes down to policy and the, the things that really matter for the long term, the, both of those sides point in the same direction. Like right. I think with the Ukraine thing, they're both going to end up saying, well, at least we can agree that they need more weapons. We, and that's, let's do that. Let's have the jumping off point there. I would love, cause I've been listening to the podcast last two or three days. The, your 30,000 foot view of Ukraine, the, the scandal that is Ukraine. I have my opinion about these type of, again, air quote, scandals. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't, I don't think there's much to them. I think that's, if we, I think we would be surprised if we were privy to all of these type of conversations that every president in the history of our world has done these things. We just didn't listen in, but that's just I my agree. jaded view. No, no. I totally agree, and I would take it one step further and say in this case, and and also in probably most cases, that it was scripted for Trump. Oh, really? You know, I'm not, yeah. I'm not, I'm just guessing. I mean, if you look at the transcript, I think this guy gets a piece of paper in front of him. I think that's how that, how that works anyway. Like, it goes to the face job thing. Okay, so your media people are face jobs reading headlines, I feel like our politicians are in a lot of ways that also. I mean, he is a reality TV star. That's how come you know him as a bossy boss. And I think that he, that I mean, even if you just don't, don't even look at it that way and just look at it as a really important guy, Jack Welch, you know, big CEO, they're not taking calls with, they're not like figuring out the geopolitics of every country they're talking to. They've got stuff to do. They have ribbons to cut. They're going to read like, hey, hit this point, hit that point. Maybe it's Barr telling, maybe it's Juliana telling, maybe it's somebody 
way behind the scenes who's working for the other team. You know, I don't, I don't know. Yeah. And, and when, again, I go back to if you don't think Obama was not having these type of phone calls or Bush or they, they all had these phone calls. Um, we just didn't have the leaks. We didn't. What about the Obama hot mic moment? Oh, that's true. Yeah. Well, I have more flexibility after the election. Right. He was saying to, to Putin's proxy. He yeah. was colluding with the Russians in order to get himself elected and saying, I will change my policy after the election on your behalf if you just X, Y, Z. I mean, it couldn't be more blatant. Well, that and, was a quid pro quo right there. In front of everybody. And, you know, and I again, I, I know just enough about this uh, to be dangerous. It, when I start talking about these topics with someone like yourself, I feel like a guy that took a year of karate fighting someone that's the karate teacher. I know just <laughs> enough to get beat up while I'm doing the right forms. Well, I'm not, I can't get every detail deep, but I do, what I am good at is if I see the dots, I can connect them. And if there are dots there, I usually can see them, but I can't take every issue and go deep. But this one, I happen to just pull on a couple of threads, my mixing metaphors, just pull on a couple <laughs> of threads, sorry, that that just led somewhere. And, and I... I can tell you what those dots are yeah. and you can connect them if you want. But to me, I think I cracked the code on it just from a pure, this is the only logical narrative that works, but it'll take somebody with authority to actually get the smoking guns. Well, you got there. the letters from the senators, you know, that were written to the Ukraines from the Democrats. Uh, what was it? The summer or, 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 or the year before last that was written asking them for, to cooperate with the Mueller report. Now, I think that was last year. Uh, before that was they were looking for dirt on Manafort, which yeah, did yeah, get yeah, him yeah. to step down as the campaign advisor. So that was before the election. So what are the dots that you see? And, and, well, and what, what are some dots that you've seen? The thing that I saw, I didn't focus as much on the whistleblower element of it, like the impeachment stuff, because I think all of that is is this – the crazy new way that they do these smoke screens, these diversions, it looks to me in this case and other cases like the Epstein case is they take what they did. And I'm not like partisan. I don't think the Democrats are worse or better than the Republicans. I like free markets and Republicans lie to me about those in a way that I enjoy. So, I mean, obviously. You like their lives better. Yeah. Yes. I, I prefer you. their lives. So the Democrats are telling a truth that I hate. The <laughs> Republicans are giving me a lie that I like. Oh, wow. So that's the only difference. But so I so what the Democrats seem to be doing lately is they take what they did wrong and they just I'm rubber your glue and they say that Trump did it and they actually that's why I suspect that this call that Trump had had like some little Easter egg somebody hid in there for him because they are actually setting him up to look like he's doing precisely what they had been doing and and there's going to be trouble coming out of it and i don't i don't think he minds because it is a distraction from probably stuff he is doing behind the scenes unrelated to ukraine you know i don't know what he's up to but this keeps everybody's eye on the wrong ball but what i think the real scandal is here is that the, the hunter biden thing i don't know when you hear them try to explain what Joe Biden did. They say, well, he got this prosecutor fired for going after the boss of Hunter Biden. And then the other team will say, the CNN guys will say, no, this is why your story is so stupid. Because Biden, this paragon of integrity, 
was actually getting the prosecutor to go after Hunter Biden's boss. So he didn't even know what Hunter was up to and didn't care because he's the straightest arrow in the quiver. And I figured out how to reconcile those two stories. Okay. Do we get if to hear it now? Yeah, I feel like there should be some dramatic pause music or something All right. here. Well, you can put that in later. Yeah, <laughs> but, but, there you go. Yeah, exactly. There you go. <laughs> so here's what, what I think happened. Hunter Biden got put in in um, early to mid-2014 in Burisma Holdings, which is the largest privately held gas company in Ukraine. It's owned solely by a guy named Mykola Zlochevsky. At the around the same time that Hunter got put in there, and Hunter was put in there on the board with his partner, his financial partner, Devin Archer. They have a financial company that they partner up with, uh, John Kerry's stepson, Chris Hines, and James Bulger, Whitey Bulger's nephew, whose father, Billy Bulger, is a big Massachusetts politician who's tight with Kerry. So those four boys were, by all accusations, Peter Schweitzer's book in particular talks about this from a couple of years ago, that they went to China peddling influence while Kerry and Biden were pivoting to Asia. That's very powerful over there. So these guys roll in bed together. And so Devin and Hunter were put in Burisma around the same time that Zlochevsky, who owns the assets of Burisma, was run out of town. He ran away because an investigation was starting just at the time that the government he had been a part of, Yanukovych, was, was in my opinion, ousted by a coup run by the U.S. So... The U.S. takes this democratically elected president and runs him out of town. Corrupt guy, but he was democratically elected. They run him out of town. His, you know, henchman, whatever, Zlochevsky, he sees the hammer coming down on him. He evacuates Ukraine as well. But his company, Burisma, is there, and Biden's the Johnny on the spot for the Ukraine. And this coup that I think, you know, I'm calling it a coup that we orchestrated. So Biden's over there. He comes over in 2014, comes over many times. But the changing of the guard in Ukraine, the new government came in in 2014, and that's when Hunter and Devin are put on the board of Burisma, and that's when the guy is run out of town from Burisma. Then Jeffrey Pyatt, who was the, the ambassador to the Ukraine, who was colluding with Victoria Nuland, the assistant secretary of state to the Ukraine, she, they, were, they were the ones who were caught on tape plotting this coup. So Jeffrey Pyatt and Biden and this Soros joint venture with the U.S. government called uh, anti-corruption. You dropped, in, you just dropped Soros in there. You just got everybody's attention. Oh, yeah. So George Soros <laughs> has these, he, he fosters these organizations with the U.S. government that kind of co-funded. There's a few of them. They supposedly target corrupt foreigners, corrupt people in their own countries. And I think they are corrupt, but I think what they're trying to do is they get their assets. It's called, one of the organizations is called the Kleptocracy Asset Recovery Initiative. And they go in there and they try to get the assets from these corrupt guys. So what I think was happening was that Jeffrey Pyatt and Biden and Soros and this ANTAC, this Anti-Corruption Activation Committee, was trying to get Burisma Holdings' owner out of the picture so that Burisma would own the assets. They would be forfeited, just like we have asset forfeiture here. Oh, wow. And they then Hunter and Devin would be there as the finance guys to dispose of the assets, maybe to cronies, maybe just for fees. I don't know. But one, like, smoking gun thing I think is there is that 
somehow London was holding $23 million of this guy's assets. And because Shokin, the prosecutor Biden rant, got fired, would not file the paperwork to support the seizure of Zlochevsky's assets. The, the assets went back to Zlochevsky. And I think that was when Shokin was out. It was around that time. Like They were like, you're letting this guy take his assets, and we want them. So then Biden got another guy put in, Lutsenko, and he did. He wouldn't do it either. He wouldn't go after Zlochevsky. So I'm just thinking Zlochevsky is a dangerous character. But what I think connects the dots here is that when they say, you're all wrong about Biden, he was trying to get the Burisma boss prosecuted and let the chips fly where they may for his son, Hunter. They were just going to be kind of swoop in and, and pick, off, saying, pick yeah, off the bones. He put Hunter in there to be there for when. Like, I don't know if Zlochevsky put Hunter in there. Zlochevsky left right around when Hunter got there. Right. I mean, I think they slid Hunter and Devin in there. And then this guy, Devin, I can give you one more layer of this if you want to hear it. Are you kidding me? Yeah. All right. Yeah. Here it comes. This guy, Devin. So I was like, how come no one's talking about this guy, Devin? Uh, Devin Archer, another guy on the scene in Ukraine and a partner of Hunter Biden. So I Googled, uh, Googled him, and it said that he was recently, just like in the past year or two, convicted of this massive fraud where the other people who were convicted with him are getting 6, 8, 10, even 12 years in prison. He, among all those people, nobody else got their convictions overturned. He got his conviction overturned. And I was like, who the hell did that? Like, So I was like, who's the judge on this? Judge named Ronnie Abrams, who's... Husband is the assistant special counsel to Mueller on the Russia <laughs> election interference thing. I mean, I was uh, like, what? Then here's the last wrinkle. Her husband, Greg Andres, was a prosecuted a guy named Alan Stanford, who, in my mind, was a bigger fraudster than Bernie Madoff. He's currently sentenced, sentenced to 110 years for an $8 billion fraud. So this Ronnie Abrams' husband was the one who prosecuted him. But he did not prosecute one of one of Alan Stanford's uh, affiliate companies called Paradigm Stanford, and the owners of Paradigm Stan Paradigm Stanford or Paradigm, which was joint venturing with Stanford, are Hunter Biden and Jim Biden, Joe Biden's brother. <laughs> See, you need to put this in a timeline somewhere, and you Dude, may. I know. Sorry, it gets confusing. No, I no, don't want it in writing. <laughs> you, oh. <laughs> Not because I don't think it's true, no, but I know. because like yeah. I just don't. I like it makes me nervous flying this close to the sun. Yeah, it, it, especially <laughs> when you've got you know family and kids and a career. I get it. Hey, folks, don't forget this episode is brought to you by JB Millworks. JBMillworks.com. When I grew up, my mom and dad used to tell me, "Hey, make good friends. Be, you know, find the right friends because you are who you hang out with, and your connections as you when you make them when you're younger is they they get older. The people I was in high school with and go to college with." They get jobs, they become influential, and that's there's a certain part of you make money off the people that you surround yourself with. And that's what politics is for the most yes. part. But yes. the things that they do with that power is where I think the corruption comes in. You know, it's, well, that's yeah, where it sinks know, in. See, so, so a couple of the things that they do that we can't do is they can peddle influence or act like they're peddling influence. So Jim Biden can just show up. Or like when Hunter Biden was doing some deal in China, he shows up to the meeting on Air Force Two. Yeah. 
So you don't have to actually peddle influence or even claim you're peddling influence. We're talking China. It's a they perception. They know what it means to step off Air Force yeah, Two. Yeah, it's the perception. It, you, it's it's uh, you're saying something. You don't have to say anything. And um, right. I get it. And to be honest with you, the the layers you just gave me because I'm going to go back and listen to this and write all these names down. And I'm going to make a timeline myself just so I can make sure. And investigate this stuff. Yeah, look into it and, and see what you come up with. I mean, the, the big <clears throat> words are, and I'll just say the second thing that they can do that we can't do yeah. is when when they get in trouble, they can get convictions overturned. They can not be prosecuted. I'm not saying that there was nefarious business here, but it has the appearance of impropriety. And it's absolutely not true that that. Other people could count on that kind of fair, you know, that kind of treatment. But like some of the names here, Rosemont Seneca is that thing where it's like Hines and um, by Hunter Biden and Devin Archer and James Bulger. That's Rosemont Seneca. They did a Chinese joint venture called, I think, BHT RST, which is the Rosemont Seneca um and then there was another name for James Bulger's company. Uh, the Kleptocracy Asset Recovery Initiative is one of the Soros U.S. government joint ventures. Democracy Integrity Project is another one. And it's really screwy because these companies, these organizations are saying that they're parachuting into other countries and helping them clean up their corruption. But these it's not clear to me where the money's going. Like, even if it gets put back to the tax holder, the, you know, the taxpayer to the country, the whole scam in Russia, when it turned over to from all the industry being national to all the industry being private, was that they, they, you know, through some indirect methods, got these assets in the hands of oligarchs for much lower than the market value. And those are called handling fees. <laughs> handling fees. Yeah, then you get the yeah, big bag you get the, the yeah. yeah. You know, if you can't pay it all back by Friday, there's you got to pay some interest on it. I, I have a feeling that if we, it, it, you know, sometimes I think we forget this is all complicated. If I listen to this right now and I hear all the layers you put on it, I'm going, that's way too many people to be involved for me to put that together. Here's It's the same concept when I say to folks, though, they, I would never do that. I go, look, man, I know you. You get out of a parking ticket. You, everybody will try to get out of a parking ticket. You try to talk your way out of it. If you know Sam, the, the juror, I mean, the, the judge, you'll call him up and say, hey, can, everyone tries to get a little, to, to, to use their leverage when they can in life. If you don't think that that just is the same principle, but on a corrupt level, it's the human beings are, are that way. And I'm not saying everybody would use it for corruption. I'm just I saying don't. it's the same principle. A lot I think of times. they think they're the good guys because yeah. they're, and this is why they're getting away with it because they're only targeting. I think this is my uh, my guess as to what their angle is. They're only targeting corrupt people, right? So if you <laughs> are gonna, if you, I was watching the beginning of a movie with Bill Paxton last night, A Simple Plan, and uh, it's a, it if you find a bag of money. You're gonna turn it in because you're gonna get caught, but if it's a drug dealer's money. Who's going to, they're not going to go to the cops. Right. So maybe you're going to have trouble, but that's not the kind of trouble you're going to have. It takes away one of the problems. So if they look at the corrupt people and then they think that they're the good guys, right? They think, well, I'm just selling assets to people for a fee. That is a normal business thing to do. 
And I know that this guy will take good care. It was like when Trump got the Washington, D.C. post office, the other bidders for that, that was like in 2012, the other bidders for that, one of them sued and said, he's not, he didn't make the highest bid. But the argument is, yeah, but he's going to do the best job. And we wanted somebody who would do a nice job. So they can make those rationalizations that they're just putting the assets where they belong. Well, too, though, if you start living in this world long enough, you think things get upside down. I hate to say this. If you've been raised as a politician and you get to the certain level, this is not good or bad. It's normal. And and, and I think sometimes it's easy to lose your moral code. How many times have you known someone that gets elected or you known someone that has money? You know, they say money will reveal character. I I guess I don't think it changes Mm. people. I think it gives people the ability to be who they've always been. They just couldn't afford to be the jerks they wanted to be. Yeah, but, maybe that's a blessing. Uh, maybe. Absolutely. Well, I, I must be a real jerk. God does not want to show me off. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I, I think because, like, I've known people with a lot of money over the years, and I can't really think of anyone who I thought was better off for it. Right. Well, I'm willing to give that sh- a shot. If God's got that in the cards, I'll give money a shot. But I, <laughs> Put I'm me not, to the test, God. That's right. Put Let's, me to the test. Put me through the fire, man. Put me through the fire. But I, I do think, though, as politicians, if you're Hunter Biden or you're one of these kids and you've grown up and you've seen your dad and his friends do business this way, it's not right or wrong. It's just normal to them. I, I have known people like that because I, I got my GD MBA at Stanford and I went to Harvard and I've known people. I mean, my dad's a truck driver and I'm the youngest of nine. I'm not even in those circles now, but you do meet people like that. You rub elbows. And I remember observing over the years that the kids of important people, and I knew a lot of them, they were absolutely enamored by their own parents. Like they, there was no question in their minds that their, their parent was a public servant of the highest order with no personal gain. I mean, these kids were not running around in Ferraris and stuff, but I did see funny little things like, Oh, my mom has a good friend who has a yacht. And so we spend the summer, they leave us the crew, they don't come with us, but we just spend the summer on the yacht. And it's, you know, because like, they're just really good friends. And I'm like, you're stupid. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's it's the the same principle when you have people then trying to buy their kids way into college. And we call that a scandal. And it it 100% could be, I haven't read enough about it, but you have actors with money and influence. It's all I'm saying is when I read these things, I don't think they're party specific. I think we, the people, have divided ourselves. And the media is just like, hey, if you guys want to go down this road, we'll keep feeding the beast. We'll give you headlines on this side to let you think you're right. We'll give you headlines on this side, and you can think you're right. But in the meantime, I think it's the same coach, the group of coaches calling plays for two different teams because this is no different than we've been doing it. And everybody on your side acts shocked and everybody on my side acts like it's the right thing to do. And the problem to me isn't the politicians or the system. It's us, the voters, that we have allowed this to happen. The, the minute we want to fix this, we can. It, it's, wow. you have, it, yeah. You have a lot there. Um First of all, and I don't want to derail this way, but I did do a lot of work on the college scandal. So if you want to talk oh, about Oh, did you that, really? Well, oh, yeah. well, let me ask you. Let's, I'm going to write that down. Can I, can yeah. I, can I come back to yeah. it? Yeah. Yeah. yeah I sure. do want to finish this, this one question up. You're an yeah. attorney. You read the transcripts and no matter what the motive behind it, I personally and my really huge, gigantic brain 
did not see a quid pro quo. Did you? No. Okay. But what I did see was repeated references to the call as being a rough transcript. What does that mean, rough? So for, I you mean think for, for the it's not verbatim. It's not word for word. <clears throat> so I feel like there's another shoe to drop on the, the details of the oh. transcript because you could change a few words around and make it look like that. And, and the transcript I read, I thought was the ver, the verbatim, the one that it was just. It said that it was create. I'm certain I know which one you're talking about because I, well, not certain, but I'm confident that it's the one that was, it was made at a voice to text process and it was published in the Wall Street Journal and mm -hmm. at a lot of other places. But if you looked at an article nearby, it said that one of the accusations is of the cover up is that the the White House suppressed the Situation Room verbatim transcript. Oh, yeah, maybe so, I missed that part. Well, I don't. I uh, it's only because I read like all four of the articles, you know, which you're not really supposed to do. Yeah. How so, dare you? Yes, and I saw that, and I was like, they're definitely. Well, I it looked to me like what they call Chekhov's gun, where they like put that in there for later reference. So let's see. And that's uh, also this art of ambiguity, which I think Trump brings to the to the political sphere. That's that that's his contribution to <laughs> thank you to propaganda and politics. Well, again, I think the exposure, you know, I think the more media we have and the more exposure we have to what's going on behind the scenes, I'm sure there's a we can sit and have an argument over if the transparency is good for the country or bad. And I think, like everything else in life. It's probably both. I don't think it's a great idea to stick cameras all inside our military where we're on a war front. I don't think that's always good. I don't think it's good to hear every conversation that a president, whether I've agreed with them or not, has with other countries because as long as they're operating in our best interest, then they're going to have moments where they're going to say things and do things that we as the public have. We don't know all of the backstory of those conversations. We just can't. And so when I see stuff like this, I think of a marketing because I'm a marketing guy. I think they just need the word impeachment out there as much as possible before the election next year, because if they can get it into the House and get it approved, which it's going to be, then all of a sudden they're going to they've got a year's worth of saying, how could anyone vote for a president who's been impeached? And that is in my world. I don't think them getting him out of office has ever been the goal. I think this is 100 percent to win the election. I think that's true. I agree with that. I think that if you follow the Watergate parallels to their conclusion, you'll see that the Watergate scandal perforce broke before the election because it was about the campaign. It, you know, it was about uh, spying on the campaign of the opposition and people didn't care. So Nixon was reelected and he resigned. He wasn't even like impeached and convicted. He resigned. So right. you could have games like that being played. But I have to say that this way in the very beginning of my terrestrial radio career, my boss said to me, hey, don't let people say stuff you disagree with and not tell them that because it looks like you agree. I would say uh, I want to take a couple of your points. One is the transparency not being you know, you don't need it to be total. Is it a good thing? Sometimes the problem is it kind of goes to the Mark Twain lies, damn lies and statistics. The problem is the partial transparency. It's stuff out of context that 
can be peddled as true, but is so misleading as to be damaging. So you're almost better off, in, in my mind, like all or nothing. Like I think cop cams, you know, dash cams and stuff should have live streaming URLs so that it can't be edited, nothing. You know, every single troublemaking video I saw during the Black versus Blue, um, I'm going to call it, you know, a PSYOP, they cut off the beginning and the end so that both sides could find the ambiguity they needed to interpret it the would, way they would want Would you stop to. bringing up these different topics that I want to go down Sorry. the rabbit hole with you, psyops, and now I'm, <laughs> I can't – I'm running out of paper. Go back to that. Go back to your, <laughs> I can I can be your um, Tony Randall. Every time Johnny Carson had a guest who canceled, he'd just call Tony Randall yeah, and pop absolutely. on his podcast. And so anyway, just keep a list of topics and then at any time. I know. I think you're 100% right. And that's kind of what I was meaning by because we don't know the backstory and all the things that go into that one conversation, we're making an opinion based off uh, you know, 20%, you know, it's like we hear part of a story yes. and we, we have to fill in the gaps and we're going to fill in the gaps based off our beliefs, not what really happened. But where I want to disagree with you, not, or I should say, let's see if it's, it is a truly disagreement, but I would like to say what my opinion about when it's justified to be secretive, I would say, yes, if you're in war, obviously that kind of thing, you need to have your secrets. However, I think the, the times when that kind of secrecy is justified are common now. We're, we're constantly told that there are national security interests. Things are redacted all the time because we are an empire, you know, a democratic republic empire, which is a massive contradiction in terms. It can't, it cannot be true that we govern ourselves and are engaged in things that we are not allowed to know about. So if we didn't violate sovereignty of other countries, we probably wouldn't really have any secrets. If we didn't violate our own constitution, we probably wouldn't have any secrets at all. I don't I don't like your answer because then that makes me doubt mine. So if we could just stick with my answer, please. Well I'm, see, I'm a I'm a hardcore libertarian. So yeah. like my the scaffolding inside my brain doesn't let stuff like that just hang off. I can't drape but, that coat off. But I'll be I honest though. I'll be honest. I think I've got a couple of buddies that are that you would love and they love listening to your podcast and they too are attorneys. Um, but I think we, again, I'll, I'll use the, we, the people as, as the quote there, right. we, the people though, I don't think would like really know. I don't think we want to know everything behind the scenes. I think, I think we do when it again well, goes to justify what we believe, but I think politics is kind of a dirty business. That, but you're circling back to something earlier that you said that I really did want to get to, which is that we are responsible. We let it happen. And I think that that is that that is where the fault lies. If I can connect those two dots, what, what you, the things that you just said, which make it clear that you do have a really consistent ideology, which I, I'm loving, even if it's not the same as mine, but I, you know, I like it. I you were going to say wrong, but it's okay. No, no, <laughs> no, kidding. not I'm at kidding. all. No, I think we probably go to the same place, which is what, what I really truly believe. Like people are always like, you're a conspiracy theorist and who's at the top and who's responsible and who's behind the scenes and what my mother says. And I, and she's really right, even though sometimes it's hard to believe it in the world of psychology and sociology and propaganda. It's your, you have free will. You have the ability to distinguish right from wrong and you have reason. If you aren't putting all that stuff together to find the right answer, you might not really be employing 
with full integrity that you're not fully informing your conscience and living by it. And and that's why I think that people will use the ideology that they have or the justifications they're given by their party because they know that their wallet will benefit. It's uh, My sister coined it as the ethical glass ceiling. It's I think it's oh, a, yeah. Upton Sinclair thing or whatever, but you just, you can't, you you are looking for the answer that justifies what benefits you. And you want to couch it in ideology, but if if you can you have to twist that up a little bit or believe a few lies from your party, you can go to the mat for them well, on we a matter ex- of principle when it really just helps you. Right. We we accept the flaws of our team because they're good people. Why? Because they're like us. They think like us. Your team we hold to a different standard. Why? Because you think differently. And, and I had a, a, a great uh, conversation. This is probably six months ago. I voted for Trump and I voted for Trump for a couple of reasons. I agreed with his policies. I like the, I'm, I vote more conservative anyway. I've never voted 100% Republican, but I like Trump over the, the options we had at the time. And we were having this conversation with a friend of mine. He's an African American guy. We were talking and, and, and I said, we were talking about being, you know, the word racist that's thrown around now. I think just shut people up because no one wants to have to fight the battle of being called a racist. No one. So I think they throw that term out there, and I think it delegitimizes real racism that still exists. But I looked at him, and I said, dude, you've known me for 25 years. Do you think I'm a racist? No. There you go. So you even think Trump is a racist? I, I, I think Trump can be an idiot sometimes. And, and I, I, I think it, ugh, this is this may be where I throw the, the rabbit hole up. I don't trust anybody on planet Earth that tells me they do not judge people or they do not have a bias in them. If you tell me you're completely free of bias and judgment, I will tell you up front, I will not trust you moving forward. You're a liar. Yeah, you're 100% a liar. Well, our brains are, aren't our brains kind of set up to process yes. visual patterns? I mean, I, well, my you thing have is to I, overcome it with, the, with your own, uh, you know, a higher level, you know, non-animal brain. Relationships fix that problem. That's one thing I've learned. I totally yeah, agree. One, I, I have this great big theory that sometimes if we got people in a room and we didn't record the phone calls, that we would, when they left the room, normal people will walk out of that either understanding why they don't like each other and, and, and having a really clear understanding of why and where they don't agree. Or they'll walk out going, you know what? We have a lot more in common. And most of the times, the the labels we assign to people would have nothing to do with them, nothing at all to do with them. I agree with you. And this is why sometimes I feel like when I'm doing my podcast or my show, maybe I I seem mealy-mouthed. I really don't know. But I am very sensitive to I'm not going to throw cops under the bus or teachers under the bus or transgender people under the bus or or even – you know, people who whose ideology I find to be, you know, the uh, really harmful, if not sinister, because there isn't a person, a label that you can affix to any person that I haven't met a person with that label who's really just has a point of view that comes from a place of as at least as great as integrity as, you know, myself or somebody else. And and it, and they find it very offensive. When you assume the, you know, when you don't acknowledge that there are assumptions in your own ideology. Right. Yeah. And, and that's why I try to say like, these are individuals I'm talking to. If somebody listens to my show who's 
who's on a different end of whatever spectrum I'm talking about, I want them to hear that I'm just trying to figure it out. And if they, if it's on WSB and they can call me, call me. I want to hear it. And we can understand each other a little better then. Hey, folks, don't forget, this episode is also brought to you by Team Monteith with Keller Williams. Find ChattanoogaRealEstate.com. I say this all the time, and this is the part where Clint gets in trouble uh, a little bit. I, I think everyone has the right to be as judgmental or as whatever they want to be. I don't mind hearing things like that. And the reason I don't mind is because two reasons. First of all, if you're a racist, I probably want to know that so I can know how much space I need to keep between me and you and me and our lives. I mean, you're, you run into race. People are racist all day. Trust me. If you don't want to deal with racists and you, you go through life, you're dealing with them. You just don't know it because they're not out there talking about their racism. But I'm okay. If you want to be a racist, I, okay. At least it lets me know who you are. Also, I think with that freedom comes the ability to say dumb things and then to have a conversation with somebody and to grow. How in the world are we supposed to change our minds, if, especially the generation we're bringing up at 20 year old? Yes. If you can't say some stuff and an older person or somebody with a different perspective sit down with you over coffee and go, Hey, let me challenge you on that thought. And, and, and how in the world am I supposed to ever be a different person if I get stuck because I can't say things? I, yes, I had a guy email me from like a really racist point of view and I answered him because I really, I thought his arguments were wrong and I thought maybe I could we could just exchange ideas. I wasn't even thinking I'm doing a good thing by changing this racist. I was like listening to what he was saying and I was responding and he, and then it, it came to the point where the arguments, they weren't hostile, but like the back and forth just broke down and like it was no longer rational and he continued to be committed to this position that was not justifiable at that point. But a friend of mine criticized me for having the dialogue with this guy. She's like, why would you ever talk to that guy? And I was like, well, I just wanted to know why he thought. It was like when this guy, a caller, who referred to, referred to himself long after as Flat Earth Mark. He would call about all sorts of things, but he believed the Earth was flat. And I was like, why? And I got a bunch of emails saying, why did you give that guy any airtime at all? He's ridiculous. And I said, well, I just wanted to know why he thought that. I just wanted to know why. Right. And and that is a very helpful place to be. Well, after you, had, after you had that. Down. Con- he yeah. didn't have an answer. After you had that conversation with that guy, you knew, OK, from this point forward, since there's zero movement on his beliefs and zero movement on mine, if that was a personal relationship and an in-person, you know, human contact, I would know at that point what I'm dealing with. And 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 that he couldn't defend his position in there. a convincing way. So then you have to understand that. You know, maybe it gives you an insight into that position as being something that is not based in, you know, at a certain point can be broken down, which means to me it comes from a a non-rational place. That's right. It's how he was raised. And and you can take what we just talked about for the last three or four minutes and and insert, in my opinion, insert label here. Whatever we do when we label. And by the way, there's a place for labels. I'm 100, but there are people who are certain things. I'm not sitting here saying everybody this esoteric, everybody that thinks differently comes from no they're they're racist out there i'm just saying if we tell the world we can't talk 
about the differences, then we better be ready for a world that all goes underground. And that's how you well, have yeah, and it problems. gets to be ridiculous because you can't talk about multiculturalism and act like immigrant cultures aren't different. Right. I mean, it just doesn't – you can't choose which paradigm you're going to embrace depending on the argument you're trying to make. If, if you're really about – I actually – I'm from New York. I've always loved the melting pot, and people aren't going to – you know, I, I understand the concerns people have, and I know that, that a lot of these people who weren't raised here don't really understand how important constitutional rights are and might vote in a way – you know, for people who don't respect them, and that will really cause a, a degradation of what what they came here for. I get their problems, right. but uh, but I just don't feel like you. You know, I like it because I like the different cultures, but you can't deny that the cultures clash. Well, sometimes, and, but and I think that has to give, and that's just a fact. But I think the place that we should give on is the fact that being different is what makes us strong as a country. I've said this so many times. When you watch the Olymp, one of the reasons I love the Olympics in the United States, the Olympics is, yeah, I can look at most every other team and figure out what, 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 what's on their jersey. Yes, they look, look a certain way. They fit the, the, the stereotype. You can't, when you see an American team, we look like the world. And I love that. That's to me what makes us strong. Are you a, a fan of comedy of Dave Chappelle or Bill Burr? Have you ever heard of those two comedians? I, I don't. I, I've heard of Bill Burr. I don't remember him. I always loved Dave Chappelle. I liked him more before. I liked him more on his show than I right. like him now. Have you listened to his new stand-up? Him. Not the last okay. one. I'm just going to tell you right now, without the kids in the room, because it is not kid-friendly, either one of these. Yeah, earmuff, buddy. <laughs> Uh, Bill Burr's newest Paper Tiger and Dave Chappelle show the, the two new, they offend every possible group. Really? Oh, it is. It doesn't matter what color, what you identify as. They, if you put, if you listen to those back to back, you better not be soft because they are going to rip wow. your world apart. Hey folks, don't forget this podcast is brought to you in part by People's Home Equity, chatmortgage.com. That's chat with two T's, mortgage.com. Hey, let's take a quick, uh, a quick, a quick shift. College. Can you give me just a few minutes of, you said you know a little bit about the college yeah, scandal. I do. Yes. Yes. Cause that so, resurfaces every now and then. Yes. Uh, I don't, I don't, I haven't cracked the code on the policy that they're after the policy change that they're after. It's a very weird crime in the first place. I mean, the way in my mind, it should be a tort with damages. So who has a right to sue the, you know, maybe they can sue the college for getting duped and then sue Felicity Huffman for bumping them from, you know, getting in to being the first person on the wait list. And then they have to compare the damages of what they did, what they did, where they did end up going to school compared to if they went to USC instead. Like you could actually look at it from a damages point of view. It's not really a crime in my mind. I guess it's a fraud, but the whole thing seems like it's meant to go for some policy and I haven't figured that out yet but as far as the details go what more than half of the of the families the parents have not pled guilty they are fighting it most notably Lori Lachlan and I think she is an actual victim of this and not a uh criminal at all and that they're after I actually think she's being persecuted for her faith and her politics so really Yes, because she, Binkley, my 
co-host on the podcast, my producer on WSB, says, said, oh, you know, Lori Lachlan, did you know that she's like uh, Catholic and she does all these like Hallmark shows and she's, I, 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 he thought she was conservative. And I said, really? And I thought it mustn't be easy to have those labels in Hollywood. So it's probably real. And wow. I thought, if it's real, why is she a criminal? Like, what are you doing that for? So I looked into her case specifically. And I was satisfied when I read the FBI affidavit that this Rick Singer guy, who's their cooperating witness, is a mega fraudster. Mega fraudster. That he, what I think, what I think he did to Lori Lachlan and her husband is he, he knew them. They went to him for consulting. And they told, he told them, I can get your daughter in, but, and I know the admissions people, and they expect someone like you, I believe this is like in the affidavit, they expect someone like you to give a million dollars, but I can get it done for 500 grand if you just give it to my foundation. And maybe he said, I'll, I'll pass it on to them, whatever. So the husband says, oh, I actually, he said to get, send me a picture of her on an erg. Now I rode crew and this girl's like a hundred pounds. And when you rode crew, I was too small for crew and I am not a hundred pounds. <laughs> so she was probably just going to be a cox or like, you know, the person who shouts stroke, stroke, stroke. And right. those girls get recruited as freshmen. Like they're not, you don't, they just find the smallest people and they put them on to teach them how to do it. So if they were even recruiting her for that or making it look like that, like that element of her story to me is easily explained away. But the father, Lori Lachlan's husband said, hey, I'm going to Augusta, Georgia. I guess it was for some golf thing with the athletic department head of UCC, USC. Do you think I should mention to him that my daughter's applying? And Singer's like, no, 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 no. Because Singer probably knew darn well this girl was going to get into USC easily because she was a YouTube star and USC has that big film school. Right. So I think she was a shoe-in and Singer knew to tap these this family to divert what they would have given to USC to his own coffers. And I think that they honestly thought they were giving tuition, uh, giving charity. And then there's even a smoking gun in there where – Singer and his co-conspirator are saying, hey, I'm afraid that Lori Lachlan's going to go into the high school and tell the counselor what's going on, and it's going to set off all sorts of red flags, and she's going to get all suspicious. And they actually say in the FBI affidavit, they quote them saying that they're worried that Lori Lachlan's going to get suspicious. So, like, yeah, so it sounds to me like she is the one that is getting duped because they're worried yeah, so that she's going to find out. Yes, I think she's a victim of fraud. And then I thought the only way that she's going to win is if she has a great lawyer. And who's going to be, who's going to go out there for her in this world where you get, you know, really like, so as soon as she decided to plead not guilty, they raised her potential sentence from one and a half years to 40 years. They just threw the book at her. And I thought like, what, what lawyer is going to go up against that? But she got a really good lawyer, I think at Latham and Watkins. And Lo and behold, the judge, the prosecutors, everybody is trying to get her and her husband to not be able to use the same lawyer so that they can at least get one of them. Wow. So they're really interfering with these people's constitutional rights. And I believe it's because she is just a person whose politics they do not like 
So I think the college scandal is basically this guy is a massive fraudster and the FBI is going too far by trying to rope the parents in, most of whom were victims. And given this guy, I don't know how easy a deal he's getting, but. Well, and two, when you get to where you're having, you get to their level and you go back to what we were almost talking about earlier. When you get to their level with their money and their influence, I don't mean this in a bad way, but the odds that they're doing a lot of research, once someone's infiltrated your circle and Barbara and Tom have used them and now you've got this sense of confidence, I have a strange feeling that once he's in that world, the fraud took place when you infiltrated that circle. I think from that point forward, you just have to keep the curtain closed and no one can see behind the behind the curtain. Absolutely. And I think I, I, I saw Phil Mickelson's name, maybe even Joe Montana's name as – People who use this guy were on the up and up. And for some reason, those guys aren't getting investigated wow. by the FBI. And that is the kind of thing that gives these fraudsters credibility. I think that's absolutely true. How do you find your topics for your podcast? Because I'm looking back through right here because I know you do a daily podcast. But yeah. I mean, I'm looking through. You've got the the climate, the children stand in traffic mm-hmm. for climate change. Uh, CNN buries a headline. Uh, and you've got climate. You've, you've talked about climate change a couple of times. Yeah, that I. So the way we do it, Binkley and I, I, I like we'll just read the Wall Street Journal. I'll go to Fox. I'll go to CNN. I'll go to WSB, which is my station, and I'll get. Um, well, I, I go to the mainstream news feeds, Bloomberg, Reuters, and I just say, okay, what are? Listen to Fox headline news early in the morning. So what are the three, four, five things, or two, three things that people are talking about? Right now, so that you can listen to my show instead of turning on the radio. That's how I want to do it. And I don't want you to miss anything. So I take the two or three top headlines and then Binkley takes the looks for stuff that's interesting and has an angle. So he'll bring two or three stories that aren't necessarily on the front page, but they're in the news of the day. And he feels like they expose a policy agenda item. So he does the opposite. I say, what's the story? And then I see if there's any story behind it. And he says, he looks for the stories that have something behind it. Um, I'm looking down through here and you told me that like on the climate change of of all the ones you've talked about the last week or or so, is there one that really, because last time I had you on, I talked about the, you know, one of those conspiracy theories that you just yourself slipped down that slope. And it was from something, I think it was about the uh, yeah. uh, food. Health. Yeah. Yeah. But is there one of the last week or so you've talked about that you find yourself migrating to that you really like to look into? Specifically like the climate thing or no? Anything, any of them. Anything yeah, any that of them. I'm thinking of? Yeah, is there one of them? I mean, is there any one that you've talked about in the last week or so that you go, that one to me is interesting because I get being in the media, everything you have to, once you start going through the topics, like you just said, you're having to do research on the top two or three, whether you like it or not, you have to do research on it. If you're going to be relevant to that day and, but there's got to be one or two that you've gotten into and you kind of go, man, I could spend a lot of time going there, down this There's um, a couple of them, but one specifically that I haven't gotten to talk about is I see the, I've been trying to figure out what the immigration stuff at the border, like the, the asylum seekers have gone up. People are saying, oh, immigrants are afraid because of Trump. They're going home and he's great and he did it, whatever. But the asylum seekers are up from 100,000 to 500,000 roughly over the past year. They are, it is going through the roof. And my, what I noticed was there were two articles last week 
one about Honduras and one about El Salvador, I think, where we have these asylum agreements with them now, where we are going to go over there and build these institutional buildings for them to house these asylum seekers. And at the same time, I hear Ben Carson in San Francisco responding to some Trump administration red flag or citation or whatever that the homeless people is unsanitary. And he's like, well, we're going to have to build some institutional housing, some bunks there. And I've, the prison industrial complex is very powerful, very corrupt. Even when I hear about escaped prisoners, uh, Obama, I think, just was pretending to get rid of the private prison system just to have a little bit of a legacy. And then Jeff Sessions came in and said, no, 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 double down on the private prison system. So all this stuff to me feels like a way to get the the guys who build these buildings more business. Well, and two, if we're building the buildings, and I know how the government works a little bit, it's also we're, we're probably going to control policy or have a big say-so in policy. Who can. In these other countries. Yeah, in other countries other and countries. in ours. You start building yeah, stuff yeah, like right. that in San Francisco, guess yep. what? Certain information can be disseminated. Uh, there are certain policies, who and who cannot come in. And and I think uh, now that you said that, I've not heard about the stuff happening on the other side of the border. I have heard of the uh, the ones that they were talking about building yes. in San Francisco. With that being said, though, is it just me or is the last three, four weeks – been low on the immigration headlines. Yes, it has, which is why when I saw that those asylum policies come through, uh, buried in the newspaper, I thought, nobody's talking about this. This is significant. And they do it that way, I think. They, they make it, they overwhelm you with the noise of the circus aspect. And then they slip this policy, like, like the Obamacare mandate went away. Like, this was something that was on the top of the news for years. People yeah. were clawing each other's eyes out, and then it just blinks out, and nobody talks about it. it just turned the switch off. Like, all they did, they just hit did the that? light switch when they left of the room. Of course, yeah, of course. And that and that is going to. Pro I mean, I, I, there's a chance that that alone will be the single isolated action that leads us into complete socialized single payer medicine that uh. it just totally bankrupts every insurance company, and you know. You know what I'm saying? Like, oh, I just yeah. feel like they slip these policies in that are world changing or that are clearly like this pathetic, venal, money oriented goal of these really divisive policies. And it's like, really, all you wanted to do was build buildings like that's it. That's what this is all about. These little I mean, things become that, but... they become footnotes. They become a little. Well, you right. know, yes, yeah, three but years ago might have, been, might have been the whole point. Like the whole point of this Ukraine thing might just be to get weapons in Ukraine. Yeah. Might be. Well, you know? It, you know, and it's it's such a weird world we live in because we're funding Ukraine for weapons to fight the Russians, which we're reaching out to to help win elections. And I haven't really figured it all out yet because it seems like we're trying to, you know, do puppet shows in all in, in all the stages. And yeah, well, that one I think I do get. I think that that our foreign policy does not change. It does not change from Bush, Obama, Trump. It just does not change. So – our goal is to beef up Ukraine's weapons, either to provoke a war with Russia or, I think, more likely or in the interim, to see how Russia responds to certain provocations by, like, testing out their different weapon systems. I think that's kind of what we're doing and pushing on them like this. But, but Trump's doing it just like Obama would have. Trump is not in bed with Russia. 
But for him to escalate in Ukraine against Russia would go against the narrative that he's Russian. So if they make it look like he's just trying to overcompensate for having been busted or, you know what I mean? Like he can't stand in the way of the aid now because that would really make him look guilty. Yeah. If you took the headlines from the last three years, though, you would have thought, I mean, how many times I've read it? Russian to be a rush, you know, uh, Trump to be a Russian operative. You know, Trump is being right. controlled by Russia. And I'm thinking to myself, I, that's, that again goes back to the, 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 what the media real, their agenda or whoever's feeding the media, what their agenda is. Because if you knew what was really going on, that's not the case at all. Well, if they're after a war with Russia, if the powers that are above the Republicans and the Democrats want war with Russia, then what better way to get the people on board who might object to it than to say your president was as pro-Russian as a person could be. He was fighting the good fight, and even he, when this is your classic, like why is Obama bombing Syria? Well, once you get in the office and you see how bad they are, you just, what can you do? So I (laughs) I like how you just represented all of us. Thank I'm you. sorry, honey. I just I was like, hmm, this guy might be like. Uh, you just represented the voice. I'm sorry, of, what? <laughs> well, once you get, I've never talked like that in my life. Thank you very much, sorry, Monica. Guys. No, we the people just got represented. I like that. Well, you just don't know how bad things are. I agree, I agree with you, and it, and it makes it makes complete sense. It's nonsense, but it makes complete sense. Yeah, I would and it love gives them cover. For yeah, escalating. I I would love to to have you on more regularly because I kind of listen to the podcast and I find myself talking in the car a lot when I'm listening to y'all because I'll be like, well, that doesn't make any sense. Why didn't they, you know, so go deeper. Absolutely. Uh, real quick before we leave, uh, and I want you to tell everybody how to find your stuff, but do you have podcasts that you listen to? I am. You're the biggest podcast listener. You're trying to find a really good way to go. No, no, I mean, I just, that's awesome. When I find something that I think might be, like, really true, it's too scary. (laughs) So I don't want to hear it. And then what I really need to do constantly is just keep up on the news. Um, I love those, the higher side chats, but that half the time, I mean, I think there's, like, alien stuff in there, which I'm not there yet. I don't think I don't think I'll ever be there. You better get so, ready for them. They're coming. Uh, you think? <laughs> I, don't I don't know. I just said well, the that. The conspiracy now. theory is that they're out there, but the ones that are being talked about are not the real ones. So, like, uh, there's that like mind bending thing. But I do like that deeper stuff. Like, what's the true nature of reality? I like econ talk. Um, you know, 21st century wire. But I, I have to listen to like Rush and stuff because I have to know what's top of mind for people. Well, you know, Rush and the, the, the early days of talk radio, I know they have commercial breaks, but that's kind of the, 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 in my world, the genesis of podcasting. I mean, the talk radio started off and it wasn't oh. just with Rush. It's well before that, but Rush started this whole, th- I don't think, I think whether you're a liberal or conservative, if you're in the talk radio industry, or if you're in the uh, podcast industry, Rush is on the Mount Rushmore of people that got you into that business. I have to tell you what I said to my son just today. I said, he said, who's that? I said, it's Rush. He said, who's Rush? And I said, Rush is that rare example of the person who's the original, who created something new and is also the best. Yep. 
So he will ne- everyone emulates him. And I also added, forgive me, Rush. I'm sorry. I have to say it. I know you won't mind. I said, here's the thing about Rush. I disagree with him half the time. And the other half of the time he's lying, but I still love him. <laughs> yeah. I started listening to Rush when I owned, I was in my early to mid twenties. I owned a commercial cleaning company for about three or four years till I got married. And I would have to travel around and check on uh, businesses where I had people in there cleaning their businesses. And I had about 32 clients. So I was, you know, I thought that's, I'd hit the mother load. I'm 25 years old and got my own little business, making some money. But Rush kept me company. Rush. And because I would, during the day I'd ride around, but then I had, oh, what was the uh, the other one at night? The the gentleman that lived out west that taught conspiracy theories. He taught conspiracy theories. Art Bell. Art Bell. Thank you very much. Uh, Art Bell I've been told I remind my boss of Art Bell. Well, but I'm saying <laughs> those things, those types of personalities kept me company. They were my, yeah. they were my co-pilots, my co-riders. And, um, so when I got into this part of it, I grew up listening to this stuff and they were just, uh, they were kind of the pioneers, at least in my mind. I know there were people before them, but the Rush Limbaugh's of the world, whether, like I said, you can be as big a liberal as you want. If you're in talk radio, you need to send him a thank you note. Oh, yeah. And yeah. then so many people have been spawned of him just simply imitating him. Right. Simply imitating him. Oh, yeah. When I you hear these 80% little percent of it, when you hear these little parodies, things like I listen to Glenn Beck every now and then or even the Young Turks, when you hear some of these little these little uh, segments that they'll have, the music interludes, go back and listen to early Rush. And he had segments built in all through his radio show with sound effects and little things all the time where he was hmm. talking about cultural stuff. Um, that was one thing when they were, like, training me for radio. They're like, you should have, like, segments that – recurring segments and, you know, it was probably all just what Rush did. Oh, he had little sound effects for uh, – it was – it was anyway, it was great times. I, I miss being young, and that's, you know, one of the things <laughs> that I did was listening to Rush. But listening to your podcast – and I, that was a long answer to you don't listen to podcasts uh, – you don't listen to podcasts. You're too busy well, in the news I mean, all the time. I just, yeah, I have to listen to Fox headline news. And, and then I have, you know, my real job is my kids and my dogs and like, I'm, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, I just can't. Uh, How many dogs you got? I have to, okay. I've got two golden retrievers. I have a turtle. <laughs> I have a son <laughs> with down syndrome. So, and I have two other teenagers. So I just like my, my life is so, I really have to juggle to, keep my focus where it needs to be. And I worry, like I said to Binkley says, like, I got to do the kid stuff. Like I can't, or I, you know, it has to be done by X amount of time because my real job is making sure these kids, you know, really making sure that they're healthy and happy, but also like gets where they need to go. And I can't always play the podcast. I'd like to play in front of my kids. I occasionally, like I was listening to Thomas Sowell the other day. I love oh, Thomas yeah. Sowell. And uh, I was trying to get my daughter to listen to it. And uh, she was just like, I think it's cute, mom, that you like this stuff, but <laughs> I've got my son to. hooked on Ben Shapiro. And the my son Walk. does like Ben Shapiro yeah. also. He's, he's, he's falls with that entertainment and info, infotainment as well. Uh, well, I'm glad, by the way, I know you need to go do your real job and, uh, that's <laughs> way harder true. than podcasting. Uh, podcasting <laughs> is, that's a, true. Podcasting's a break in your day. So yeah. I, uh, I appreciate you taking this long with me. And if you're open to it, uh, I will try to pick one or two topics and stay more focused, but I would love to do this maybe once every four or five weeks and just catch up with you. 
Yeah, I can do it, especially if you pick topics that I've done some work on, if it's not homework for me, but like a format like this, which is longer than mine, it's easy for me to lay stuff out and clarify it and be kind of narrative about it. So I'm happy for that opportunity. Yeah, I'd love to. And again, I really appreciate it. And do, uh, do me a favor, tell everybody where they can find all of your content and listen for themselves. Sure. If you like the WSB show, which is terrestrial radio with callers, you can go to the Monica Perez show on iTunes for my podcast that I do weekly, which is a real deep dive with Binkley. It's called the Propaganda Report. That's on any podcast feed you like. And it's also on my website, thepropreport.com. And that's also where you can find our daily show which we had to name the Drive Time News Blast because that's what it is. It's the Drive Time News Blast, and you can find that at thepropreport.com also. Well, I'm looking at your website, and I'm going to go to listen to one of them right now. <laughs> right on. You, you've already got me hooked on one of the, one of the headlines. So thank <laughs> you again, goal. Monica Perez. I really appreciate it. Thank you. All right. Have a good day. Everybody, thanks for listening. Rate, review, share us, and I'll talk to you soon. Bye. Thanks for listening to During the Break. If you like this episode, share it with your friends. If you have a few minutes, please rate and review the podcast on iTunes to help us reach a larger audience. Also, like our Facebook page and check out our website, DuringTheBreakPodcast.com. If I haven't asked too much already, join us again next time on During the Break.